Welcome to Good Business. This is Ryan Everton, and today on the show, we have Loretta Bruning, founder of the Inner Mammal Institute. Um, having spent my whole life in academia, yeah. I realized that what I'm saying is not the official academic view. And so usually you're just cut off if you deviate from the official line and so I'm just grateful that young people with open minds are hearing it. And so how have you deviated from the current line of academia? So the, the thinking today, uh, including the very people that did a lot of the early research on animal behavior, yeah. they are, they have embraced this uh, happy talk idea that animals are always nurturing and altruistic and empathetic and supportive yeah. and so it's taboo to acknowledge the self-interested motivations uh -huh. that feel good and needless to say I'm not advocating that we should be hostile and competitive but if we don't acknowledge our feelings we can't control them yeah. so what they do is they say oh the state of nature is to just be happy all the time and if you're not happy all the time then blame somebody else, something yeah. went wrong, and not to take responsibility. Uh -huh. So that's my niche. <laughs> and do you feel like more and more people, um, I feel, I don't know, more. I feel like more and more people today, maybe it's becoming more real, are um, actually um, feeling like they should be happy all the time? Uh, or have they always yeah. been that way? That has become the accepted view, yeah. um, which is, you know, to a large extent because we have all those commercials, entertainment that's projecting this and young children who go to school and if they have upsets, they are ending up in the system. Yeah. And I, another facet of it is that people had religion in the past as that, um, uh, basis of thinking and without religion they want some excuse me some foundation of thought and the one I'm proposing is sort of uncomfortable you know and so people what are you proposing hmm? what are you proposing oh wait yeah well I'm proposing to take responsibility for your feelings and that's not as comfortable as being told that it's natural to be happy all the time and if you're not happy all the time then it's somebody else's fault and you should make them fix it you know what I mean it's funny though because the natural monkey brain I feel in essence or lizard brain or whatever people call it these days is mm -hmm. to uh, resort back to always blaming someone else for the problem do you think that's a conditioned thing or a primal thing well, I have to think about that. Um, monkeys don't generalize and they don't project into the future. So if you have a banana and I want the banana, <laughs> then I have two choices. So if you're bigger than me, I'll go look for another banana. <laughs> yeah. And if you're smaller than me, I'll take your banana. Uh -huh. So they don't have explanatory theories. And so it's actually a, is it a conditioned thing for humans then beyond mammalistic traits? Well, so we know that we're not supposed to take the banana from the weaker individual and we're even being pressured to give all but our bananas away to other individuals. Yeah. So that leaves you in the constant mode of having to look for more bananas yourself. Which is natural, I mean, animals are always looking for more food, but because the human brain can project into the future, it's like, what if I run out of bananas? What if it doesn't rain and the banana tree doesn't grow? You know, what if something, you know, bugs infest the banana tree, you yeah. know? And, and what do you suggest as a thing to do? Just sit with it and say, I'm having these feelings right now because of a minimalistic mindset, which is natural. In a couple hours, I'll probably feel better at least if I go for a swim or something. Um, yes, but that's, that's 
one piece that works for some people. Yeah. So I try to generalize it in a way so that each person can have their alternative, like exercise works for some people, but I'm not advocating yeah. that exercise is the thing for everybody. Because um, even to the extent that people who love to exercise, when that becomes their only self-soothing tool, yeah. then they yeah. get addicted to excessive exercise. The other, yeah, the, the other problem with what you said is like, well, I'm having this problem because I'm a mammal. That's part of it. The other part of it is because I'm a human, and humans can connect, can project into the future. So when you connect a human brain to a mammal brain, you know, you project, the mammal gets scared, then you project again, and then the mammal gets scared again. And then add to that, the way you've hooked this all up is a random chance of your early experience. So you hooked up your loop one way from your experience and I hooked up my loop another way. So we each have to sort of work around the loop that we have. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? And yeah. is, it, is, there, is there a primal reason of why humans can see in the future compared to other mammals? Yes, and it's a really simple reason. Um, and this is what, you know, the prefrontal cortex that everybody talks about. Yeah. And you can really see it that um, other mammals have almost no prefrontal cortex okay. except ch chimps and apes, and they have a little bit. So you really do see how it goes with the evolution. And what a little chimpanzee prefrontal cortex can say, if I steal your banana, you're going to bite me, and so I better not steal it. And and they can project like like five minutes into the future. So oh, really? if I if I hide these bananas, but you're gonna come along in a few minutes, I'll get bitten in a few minutes. So I better not mess up now. Yeah. So you know, you could think of like maybe a five year old child who could project five minutes ahead but not more than that. Because hmm? is it in a child is the prefrontal cortex not grown? Oh, that's a good question. Um, partly it's not grown and partly it's not wired up. Okay. Yeah, and, and this what, is one of. Have you worked out why humans got the prefrontal cortex versus other mammals? So it's not just the prefrontal cortex. You could say it's the size of the cortex in general. Okay. So there's a really simple. Um, you know, straight line progression, the size of the brain gets bigger yeah. and cortex gets bigger, the childhood gets longer and the life expectancy gets longer. So, so it's all, and the cool thing is that nobody talks about the bigger your brain is, the more it's born empty. So reptiles with their tiny brain they're born hardwired. They leave home the instant they're born. Humans have a longer childhood than any other creature because it takes so long to wire up our brain. Amazing. And you can wire it in so many different ways, like you're saying. You know, some people learned that they could jump off a building and survive, and some felt like they didn't and they got scared of buildings, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Now, this, oh, it's okay. Um... There's one other thing that uh, always comes up on this issue, and I differ from a lot of what is the, the current trait of thinking. So everybody is now saying, well, the brain is not really wired up until you're 25. So this is part of that whole thing to extend childhood and extend it and extend it. Can they say males is different as well to females or no? Yeah, but people who are saying this, they're all consultants that are getting paid by they say people. the executive brain comes on for boys at 17 or something, don't they? <laughs> yeah, well, all these consultants are um, getting hired by certain interest groups and producing research that supports the interest group. Yeah. But what's not saying is that the brain is wired from experience. So, for example, if you take a person, boy or girl, 18, 19, 20 to 25, if they commit a murder 
and you say, well, it's not their fault, their brain wasn't developed, let's let them go, yeah. then their brain learns that it's okay to murder, that there will be no consequences. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And do you, like, if, do you see a trend in like, um, you know, there's like, I'm going to give some examples right now and start talking about it, but, um, you know, I just had the future, futurologist on the show last night and he was talking about how um, overnight from this woman me too movement, the move towards how women and men interact in the workplace has dramatically changed just from that in one month, which never happened before. Women what in the workplace? How women interact with men in the workplace and how each other treat each other has changed overnight from the Me Too movement. And from Me, me too. too? Oh, Me Too. Have you heard about the woman movement called Me Too? It's all these women across the world who are opening up about men taking advantage of women. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And those yeah. sort of movements are dramatically changing how people think and interact, I feel. And I yeah. think you see today, and especially a lot of women who have gone and become successful at, at their jobs and haven't had kids, right? They start blaming a lot of people for why they don't have kids now. Um, I haven't heard that particular one. Mostly when they, when people choose not to have kids, often they advocate that this is some fabulous thing to not have kids. So I haven't heard that. Okay. What, what, where I differ from them is that when I was young, I had many sticky, uncomfortable situations yeah. in which I refused and then paid a price uh -huh. and I sort of resent like if some movie star is going to say yes and then become a star and then years later uh, whine about it yeah. so feel like it was sort of incumbent on her you, now you could what say you're well, saying is actually a primalistic thing right is that what you're trying to say Um, you don't have to no, talk about it. <laughs> some, there's some, uh, some of the, uh, responsibility is on the woman to say no, rather yeah. than to blame a man a hundred percent for asking. So do you almost have a zero blame philosophy now in the world? Where like, you almost never blame anyone for anything because you believe it is actually your own self mind at the end of the day? <laughs> I guess it's true uh, because it feels kind of hopeless to blame people. Like yeah. when you blame people, you're powerless because then you can not, you, there's nothing you can do because they're not going to change. Well, it's funny because so. spiritually a lot of people, you know, a lot, a lot of people who say they're more conscious than other people will say you need to have self-realization that it's actually you, not them, and you're the one to blame and start being grateful for why, why you are in the position you are, right? And what, what you're saying is actually... Primarily is the way to go as well. Yeah, but I wouldn't necessarily say blame yourself just because if you can not think of it as a blame thing. It's okay. like self-acceptance, acceptance of others, and focus on what you have control over. Okay. How's that? I like it. <laughs> so what? So, we don't have control over very much. It's really very small that we no. have control. So, like in your life, do you feel um, do you feel like your primal brain taking over sometimes? You're like, I wish this wasn't happening. Hmm. I guess at my age, I know myself well enough that I avoid the things that do that. So, I'll give you an example. Um, yeah. So would do that to me that just to show you how individual it is yeah I, I cannot stand to look at my numbers and whatever it is um most people like are addicted to looking at their numbers yeah. but i that if i look at my numbers and then you know that if a number goes up then you can have like a dopamine yeah, yeah. but now that's the new bar yeah. and now you have to go above that, and if you're not above that, then you feel like you've gone down. 
So I feel like it's a no-win situation. Uh-huh. And I don't want to keep having this fear that I'm going to go down. And what, so what, I what decide- numbers are you meaning? Like personal numbers or financial numbers or any numbers? Um, this is sort of um, social media numbers. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And book sales. Yeah. Just accomplishment numbers. How many hits did this get or that get? You know. Yeah, and that's a personal thing where some people, some people wouldn't get the. Some I find some people, even if the numbers went down, still see it as a challenge to get the numbers back up. It's like, it's it's even more. Is it more dopamine or is it what is it then? Oh well, to get the numbers back up, it's dopamine is the pursuit of a reward and serotonin is the sense of social importance. So they're both involved, you know, partly it's an individual of how you see it. The problem is to me, I don't know when it goes up, I don't know why. So I don't have any way of figuring out how to get it up. Yeah. So other people, maybe they have knowledge, but to me, when I, like if I talk to people like you and I ask, well, how did you discover my work? Yeah. I don't, an answer that I can, you know, really quantify, analyze. Yeah. And so I decide to focus on what lifts my spirits enough to do more work. And what lifts your spirits? <laughs> so I'll tell you a few things. So one is dividing things into small chunks so I never feel overwhelmed. Uh-huh. Um, having some limit, like if I think of you know, one really tough task that I have to do and maybe a couple of more important things. And then I save some fun, mindless things to do maybe while I'm watching or listening to something. And at some point to say, okay, I've gotten enough done. Yeah. Now I should do something fun, Yeah. you know. And and I, I like to watch comedy of different sorts. Well, the dopamine hits. It's crazy, isn't it? It's almost like... Um Chemicals rule your body, right? These hormones, and but you also roll the chemicals, correct? And it's like chemicals rule your body, but the neural pathways built from past experience rule the chemicals. And uh, my control over which pathway I'm using is so limited that the only way I could control it is to stop doing everything else. And most of the time, we don't want to stop doing everything else, which is why we go with the pathways we already have. Just keep doing what we're doing. We'll get through it. We'll get over it tomorrow, and we'll do the same thing again the next day. And essentially, that it's it, 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 it's absolutely crazy and fascinating, isn't it? Because like, and that's what have you got into like neurolinguistic? You know, like train. You know, they say you can like go back on those stories you tell yourself, because essentially they're stories, right, of what mm-hmm. stuff happens. So you tell yourself the story. Have you got into, like, that you can actually change that story, which then changes? Yes, yes. And, and I'll give you a really good chemicals point. as well, just the story actually releases the chemicals. It's not even the thing half the time, like the placebo of the story. Yeah, yeah, but I don't mean that I'm trying to change matters of fact. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. Um... Like most people, you know, I have feelings of being rejected. And it's like almost everybody does, you know, if they're honest. And so this is because we humans are trying to not limit ourselves to the herd we're born into, but to go out in the world and like constantly make decisions about who we want to be with. So inevitably, it's not going to be a mutual decision every minute. So I would feel rejected and I would have that loop that was huge because I was rejected when I was young, blah, blah, blah. And at some point, some therapist suggested to me that I was the one doing the rejecting. So first I was very upset with her. I thought, you know, that's not true and she doesn't understand me and how how dare you say that. But then I started thinking about it, you know, and then I thought, you know, if other people wanted me to be with them all the time, I would hate it, yeah. you know? So then I read a book that said, you're, you're always focused on what you don't have. So when you're alone, you're looking for a herd. When you're with the herd, you're looking for a long time. So I thought, why waste my life always regretting what I don't have? Why not just be happy 
when I'm randomly alone and be happy when I'm randomly in a group. And is it your primal self saying I want to be in the hurt? No, my primal self is why, well, the way I feel is I want to be alone. Yeah. But my therapist wouldn't agree, probably. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they all have that herd thing. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, the bottom line is that every baby is born with both. Okay. And a baby cannot survive on its own. So a baby feels needs that it can't meet and it panics. And then it learns that it needs others to meet its needs, so it panics when it's alone. So this is a loop that everybody gets. And then we send kids off to school at five years old and expect them to build connections on their own, which people did not do this in human history. Why? How, what do you mean? You, you stayed in the tribe you were born into. Yeah. You know, maybe they sold you into another tribe at puberty, yeah. <laughs> but and then you spent the rest of your life with them. So you weren't sort of sent off on your own as an individual expecting to connect with other individuals. So it would be like two dogs, like constantly sniffing each other yeah. and saying, I don't know you. I don't know you. I don't know you. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you think though, like, do you think, you can recondition the mind to want to, or like to naturally be in the opposite way though, which is going out on your own. Yeah. Do you think that yeah. changes? Yeah. Maybe it's 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. People are naturally, they just want to be, they go out on their own. It's a normal, normalized thing, primarily. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you. So what happened to me when I was very, very young, my mother was rather disturbed. Yeah. And, just being in the same room with her was very upsetting to me. Uh -huh. So I became an expert at being alone. So I hate being around other people's drama. You know? And so if I had to choose, you know, I'd much rather be alone than to be around other people's drama. It's interesting. I so, think I'm the same. <laughs> the, um, so every, every, I think everybody is. Yeah. So then the question is, so if you don't want to be alone, but you don't want to be around other people's drama, you have this idealized sense of, I want to find the right people. Yeah. But that doesn't happen except in the movies, which are written by script writers who are just constructing this artificial ideal, you know? So what do you suggest instead? Hmm? What do you suggest to do instead of finding the ideal people? I'm always oh, looking okay. for the ideal people. So this is <laughs> this is what I this is what I've learned. I I've decided that anytime you trigger so the chemical that is the good feeling of social support or trust is oxytocin. Yeah. And even if you have the most fabulous, you know, crowd group experience that you could ever have the oxytocin will still be metabolized in a few minutes. Uh -huh. So what you need is a little bit of it, and then another little bit, and then another little bit. So what I've learned is one person can meet one need, one person can meet another need, one person can meet another need. You almost and have little communities of people who bring or in different needs. So yeah. One individual, I feel supported, um, in that moment, and then another individual I might feel supported in that moment. And a lot of it comes, sometimes it comes by chance. What is, like, what is your feeling then when it comes to like relationships with like partners then? Should you be having multiple partners based on different needs? You know, like, you maybe have a love partner, and you might have multiple love partners and like, then multiple, you know, mindset partners for different parts of needs you have one for money and one for just having a good time but like is that how you would think that's not my thing no. um i'm i know people argue about this a lot so the yeah. way i see it is um don't i would rather be monogamous but to not expect everything from one person Okay. So let's say if we all look to other people for a hundred things and let's say I get 51 of them from my partner. If I didn't have those 51, I would be so happy to find him. But now that I have him, 
I could just focus on the 49 things he doesn't do, you know? And you get that from someone else. Well, I, I can get things from other people and not be mad at him. Where most but, people would actually just be mad that that person doesn't have the 49 qualities, aka like cleaning or, you know, being yeah. on time or whatever these qualities are. And so yeah, to yeah. choose to focus on those and ignore the other 51 he brought to the table. Yeah, yeah. And when a bunch of girls sit around a table yakking about their partners, you know, they can immediately put everything in the worst case, you know. Box. Yeah. And so, like, what from the animal kingdom perspective, then, is, like, is how do they interact? Do they all interact in the same sort of way, where they have different, are you saying they get different needs from different things? Are they polygamous, or are they monogamous, or is it a range, depending on the animal? Very, very few animals are um, monogamous. Okay. And the ones that are have a higher oxytocin level. But I think it's still not really understood um, how much is learned from experience versus um, automatic. But the interesting thing, we shouldn't jump to the conclusion that because they stick together that they're nice to each other all the Uh time. That's, you know, (laughs) so that's... But um, among the animals who are um, not monogamous... There's a wide variety of patterns, and I am not of the belief that we should be like chimpanzees. I think monogamy has benefits, and people who reject it, you know, they have costs, but then they could say that I have costs, so that's an individual decision, but to be happy with your own cost-benefit analysis. So actually, in the animal kingdom, there's there's no set agenda, right? In fact, ultimately, humans, because of moral and uh, ideals surrounding cultures, choose what what they are. So here's an interesting example, just to not make it about morality, because I'm not making it about morality. I'm making it like a cost-benefit thing. Okay. Like the... The anxiety of not knowing who you're going to be with. Mm-hmm. And then other people would say the anxiety of your partner's downside. Yeah. So I would rather negotiate with a partner's downside rather than have the anxiety of not having a home base. Yeah, so, well, it's, it's interesting. I feel like, and it goes back to my chat about women, and I feel like a lot of them, are, you know, get to 40 now and they don't have the home base because they are so focused on the downside. And was that downside a primal thing or was that a conditioned thing from society, uh, that mindset towards talking about all the downsides? It's <laughs> um, a good question. Um <laughs> Put this way, in most of human history, women couldn't support themselves, so they had to take what they got, and now they can support themselves, but they still have to take what they get, because you can't just say, men should be like this, people should be like this. Women don't hold their girlfriends to the same standards, I think, you know, they men should be this, this, and this, and I don't think it's fair, but now men also do it because women, they're used to being criticized, and women are used to being criticized, so it's and not just men. marketing in the middle, right? Advertising, you know, stories going out about what should be expected of someone, or what you should be getting. And movies that present idealized relationships, and I think even like therapists that give people, you know, counseling that gives you idealized expectations and the infinity of choice from dating apps. It's interesting. And like in the future, do you think like this is still going to be a problem? 
Um, well, it's interesting to see that marriage marriage is still there, you know. Yeah. Uh, long-term relationships are still there. Yeah. Um, so it may have different language. I think children benefit, you know, there's the whole thing, and children benefit from stability, but they also benefit from not having conflict in the home. So we need to learn the skills to reduce conflict. And as far as I'm concerned, fabulous progress has been made because just a hundred years ago, like it, domestic violence was normal. It was accepted. Yeah. We didn't talk right. about it. It was just there. Yeah. And in an amazingly short time, we've, I think we've gone from 80-20 to 20-80. Uh -huh. So it's great. I agree. The world's dramatically changed. It's just where is that going to go, which is even better, right? You know, some people say we're going to, in the next 20 years, we're going to be altering our genomes, right, that we can turn off certain things. Do you believe that? Well, <laughs> so to me, and I could be wrong, yeah. but to me this feels like part of that whole movement that what I've been calling it is people want their brain fixed by an external the way they want their car fixed. And if it's not a drug or blaming somebody or politics, then it's genes. But it's all somebody else fix me. Yeah. So, um, I and you know the word hack, you know brain hack is yeah. popular. Yeah. Um, so what I would hope in the future was to people to be more aware of their own power to rewire themselves instead of putting all of their um, focus on these external hacks. And of course, we all want to raise our children with um, better foundational circuits. Yeah. And it's a lot of pressure on parents and parents are trying very hard. And as you know, like the way I see it, so my mother beat me. I was lucky my father didn't beat me because, mm -hmm. you know, he was stronger. <laughs> so, so I did not beat my kids, but then there was the I couldn't say no to my kids, mm -hmm. okay? Then the next generation was the helicopter parents, which, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? You know? So I think the next generation will improve one step better. Where they won't beat the kids, but they won't be a helicopter as well. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And <laughs> what are you working on that you want to know that you don't know yet? Huh. Oh, that's a good, um, well, so addiction, you know, is a big thing yeah. and I've been writing about it and I've been writing about what I disagree with and current what approach. Do you disagree with? And I know it's wrong to just be against something. You have to be for something. Yeah. So what am I for with ad addiction and mental health? And you know what I'm for, but I feel that what I'm for it's really hard to process for a person in crisis. Yeah. So what I'm looking for is a way to make it more easy to swallow for a person in crisis. Yeah, well, the, have you heard that study out of um, Portugal, which they compare to America on drugs? I've always found that so fascinating. Yeah, you know, I am suspicious because... Are you? Yeah, because... <laughs> There is a legalization movement. Yeah. I'm in the middle of it in California. Yeah. And every time these legalization people talk to me, you know, they point to data, data, data. They all say the same things and point to the same statistics. And because I spent my whole life in academia, many, many, many decades, yeah. that I know how things happen. You have a belief, then you create studies that reinforce the belief. Uh -huh. I couldn't say this if I was no, no, there. No. And that's what happens. And then when something goes wrong, then people say, oops. And the example of that is, for example, Colorado legalized marijuana two years before California. And now they're, you know, now they're having problems. What's the problems? Okay, a few things. Um, I heard they made a billion dollars at the government. Uh, I don't know. Are you telling me that? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, no, I'm just asking. 
Yeah, well, it will cost more than that to undo the damage, though. And so, um, sorry, carry on with some examples of the damage. Well, uh, the main thing is young people. Like, if, if, um, if it's easy to get, then middle school kids have easier access, and that's when their habits are forming. And if you um, wire in those um, habits... At that age, it's much harder to overcome them. It's funny. It's, it's yeah. interesting, isn't it? One of my these are a lot of my generation, especially, are very into legalized marijuana and legalized drugs. It's almost the movement on right now, right? And I, I personally don't take drugs, but I'm not also against them. I just don't. I don't feel a need personally for them, you know, because I feel like primarily you can actually wire yourself by food and whatnot. But one of my friends, who's actually based in Colorado. Um, Adam Bornstein, he, um, he used to be the uh, head editor of Men's Health. And here's this quote that, you know, the person who learns the bottle motivation will be a billionaire. The person who does the what motivation? He bottle, he put a bottle, a pill that is motivation, that will make you oh. motivated, will be a billionaire. Because the hardest thing is getting people motivated to do well, anything. Yeah. And, and marijuana almost does the complete opposite. I feel I'm like you, 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 you're not even. You say you want to do all these things in your life, and then you go smoke this, and you're naturally driving yourself to be not motivated. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And um, I don't know if you have. You don't have kids, right? No. No. So you, you know, you can think about it in theory now, but if you have kids, and then let's say they're eleven, they're about to be 12 and go to middle school and then yeah. you're thinking what this little you know you visualize your own kid like going down that path and then you think about it differently yeah you know? i agree but they haven't and so what is the the major issues is that these kids are now smoking at a young age and that's affecting their brain circuits is that right yes but let's let's talk about what you said about motivation okay yes it is a it is affecting their motivation. So motivation is learned. This is the important thing. So in the state of nature, if you don't seek food, you starve. Yeah. And starving motivates you to go look for food. Yeah. And if you wait until you're starving to look for food, like a lion doesn't have enough energy to catch a gazelle if it's already starving. So it's motivated to look sooner. Yeah. Okay, so we evolved to be motivated, but in modern society, if you don't go look for food, somebody's going to rescue you. So we've destroyed the reward loop. We yeah. want to give every child an A. We want to give everybody a trophy. And, and the and the difference between us and Portugal, in the United States, we have this problem of lawsuits, and every healthcare provider is worried about getting sued. So they have no standards at all. They let people, they Everyone reward else. their behavior. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, um, it's, it's extremely interesting because, uh, and it, it goes back into the world actually and what, how the world should be. Because I feel like America's designed a world which is that, how do, you get, how do you give more value to more people? Make more people feel wealthy. You can be a king for the game and go to Burger King. It only costs you less than an hour's wages on minimum wage, and you got to eat a burger that is the best burger you'll ever eat. You know, like that's amazing. <laughs> like that changes the world essentially. You know, when people, you know, only a hundred years ago had to couldn't even make a burger because they didn't have all the ingredients at the supermarket, and now you've got rainforests at Whole Foods, and it costs you, you know, a couple of days' work. And like that's meant to make the world better, but maybe it hasn't at the same time. Well, so what would you do then? What are you saying? Well, I guess that's my question to you. What would be a utopia-like world oh. in terms of leveraging people's primal instincts and... Yes, you know, Because okay. someone I talked to yesterday as well was like... The way we're set up now is that instead of putting on hiking boots and climbing to the top of the mountain and being rewarded, we fly up on the helicopter or drive up to the lookout and look at the mountain 
and it's like a meaningless experience. Yes. We saw it, we see, we took the photo, we might get a few likes, which gives us a bit of dopamine for that meaningless experience, but it was meaningless, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. The opposite of that is actually like, you kind of feel like, what's the point of walking all the way up? It's like a waste of two days of my life. (laughs) When I could have gone and seen that plus another 10 things in the same day. And so I like, you feel like you're wasting at the same time doing the other experience. So it's like, I feel like a lot of people get lost. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. So this is the, the, um, the paradox of the paradox of leisure. We have more leisure time than people used to have. Uh And our brains are naturally worried about, I'm going to die someday. And the, when you're starving, you're so busy looking for food, you're not worried about, you know, what's going to happen 50 years from now. But when you're um, having choice and comfort, then you worry about what could go wrong in the future. And the solution to that from the mammal brain's perspective is the word legacy, which means like animals don't understand that they're making babies, but they compete like crazy for everything that makes babies Uh and makes the baby survive. So humans in the past tried to have as many babies as possible. And now we don't do that anymore, but we want other ways of building a legacy and we can be just as crazy about that because we know our time is limited. Yeah, that's interesting. It's kind of like Rupert Murdoch has like 15 kids from 15 different families, but that was part of the legacy back then, wasn't it? <laughs> but, um, how do you see it moving? How do you see like the world changing with kids then, especially? Like... D- are we just you know going to be dumbed down and sitting inside and having a lot of hormones go crazy and then become mentally impaired? Uh, well, you know, things get presented in the worst case scenario. I know, you hate you hate this piece of myself too. I've, I have listened to a few things from you. I'll give an example. Yeah. When I first, disco- when I first discovered the internet, yeah. how oh, this is incredible, this is so cool uh-huh. that... You mean it's free? I can just send a message anywhere in the world? All I want, it's free. This is such a great thing. And then people immediately started bashing that. And like then when you get access to like all these apps for free, you mean Wikipedia is free? Google is free? You know, it's all like it's too good to be true. And everybody just sees the downside. So, for example, when instincts. Well, for, uh, I think a lot of it's for it's competing for attention. Okay. That when you go negative, you get more attention. Okay, yeah. But anyway, people have been complaining. Nobody writes letters anymore. A hundred years ago, people wrote long letters. Yeah. But when the internet started, I said, "Wow, people are writing letters again." So maybe now it's not letters; it's just texts. Uh-huh. But kids are writing to each other rather than phoning. So putting your thoughts into words in public, that's a skill. Nobody's seeing the positive side of it. That's actually the highest level of consciousness, to put your words, to put your feelings into words, and then to make them public. That's a good thing. I know. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. It's funny, I was just uh, talking with Ian, who's the world's leading futurologist last night and he was saying that he came up with you know text you know like you could text message and everyone said to him it's the worst thing possible why would you text when you could just call someone (laughs) and so he never invented text even though he came up with the idea in advance but that's the state of the world right people being negative about it well that's partly you know I, i i my one blame that i have i blame teachers for lowering standards. So that's it. But anyway, so let me give you a positive thing for the future, okay? okay? When I was young, there was this idea called zero population growth, which means if everyone has no more than two kids, then in the future, the population will not grow, and if it continues, it will actually decline. 
a little bit. Yeah. And the world is overpopulated. So it's it's gotten better. Like yeah. families who used to have eight kids are having four and people who had four are having two. Yeah. But it's now some people are creeping back up. Uh-huh. I agree. That's wrong. Well, so I've got I've got a question I guess around uh, just to deviate a little bit off of this. It's like uh, Ian also was talking about last night that um, with technology growing and robotics, free time, this leisure you're talking about increases. And and what what do you what do you think actually happens? I've, Ian has an opinion which I'll share with you, but I'll let you, I would like to hear your thought as well. Like what happens when you've got almost free time, which we almost a lot of people are at that. I feel in America, people don't get it as much as Australia, where you only literally have to work nine to four, and you're at the beach Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But like, and you've got like six weeks holiday a year. Um, but what do you think happens from all that leisure? So, well, first I'll tell you a stereotype bad side, and then I'll tell you a good side. Okay. So the stereotype bad side, you know, you could say, well, people are not going to structure their time effectively and they'll watch too much junk and they will take drugs yeah. and get bitter and depressed and nasty. Which is happening uh, in Colorado or not? I don't think so. No. I don't know that well. You know, in California, we say that they put their problem cases on the bus and send them here uh -huh. because we've had a big explosion yeah. So, um, people are sent here from other states. It's, so that's it's a pessimistic view, which a lot of people would say as well. It's what? And that's a pessimistic view, which a lot of people would say, right? Is that yeah, people would just take that. drugs, do nothing. Just, yeah. Just so, the positive it's, side of it is the number of people who are like doing things like me. Like, I got the idea, okay, I'm going to create something. Yeah. And I'm focusing on it. I'm building it step by step. It cost me almost no money to start mm -hmm. it. There are so many tools available. And you're creating something. So, so many people are creating things. It's fabulous. So free time gets up and people start creating. That's the second argument. Um, well, Ian's year was exactly that. that we'll all be on the beach surfing if we live in Australia. And... <laughs> And we will come home, have food, and we'll still create jobs, but the jobs will be entertainment-based jobs, which is we'll be setting up a podcast as our job, versus going and actually working and writing meaningless tasks. So do you actually enjoy being at the beach that much? No, you get over it, right? It's no different. It's actually a question I have. Is it's like It's like you... You want a house with a waterfront view, but you never go to the beach. My dad's like that. He's, I don't think he's walked to the lake in a year. <laughs> and, but at the same time, and then he wants a house by the beach while he's on the lake because the beach will be better. And then at the same time, everyone who's not on the beach wants to be on the beach, right? Yep, exactly. So this is it. The brain wants what it doesn't have because... You habituate to what you have, and it takes something new to stimulate dopamine. And do you think we can, once we can, or Ian believes we can turn that off very soon? Do you think, what do you think happens as a result? We're always just happy being at the beach. <laughs> do you think you can do that? Was that a uh, chemical reaction, so you can't really turn it off? It's not so much a... You mean turn off the habituation? So that you enjoy being at the beach all the time? Yeah. <laughs> I don't desire that. So I don't see that as a goal, you know? What do you uh, desire then? What, what, what do you wish you could do but you primarily can't do? I've gotten, you know, I, I don't know. I can... <laughs> I'm doing mostly what I want. Yeah. I like yeah. I like variety. I feel like that's an important thing. Uh -huh. I, you know, I think I'm always thinking, yeah. What, well, what should I go after that I don't have? Um, right now, I'm I'm going to be a grandmother in a in a few oh, months <laughs> for the first time. Yeah. So I I guess and on the one hand that's exciting. On the other hand, it's um, 
not something I have any control over. Uh And I wanted to write a book about parenting. Um, And, of course, I can do that. Nothing's stopping me, so I'm going to do do that. Do you feel like you've got a philosophy on how parents should be bringing up their kids to currently how they are in America? Um, I missed a little bit of it. How to what what how, how they are? What, do you have a different philosophy of how to bring up kids in today's world versus how they currently are bringing them up? Okay, you're right. talking about teachers, obviously. You know, giving everyone A's. How would you would have done that differently? What if you had a three year old, which obviously your daughter's probably not going <laughs> to. You have to be careful with your daughter for a little, because then she'll get frustrated, right? <laughs> Or your, your son. You have to be careful with your kids, right? I'm talking about your kids now because you've probably got a lot of philosophies of how you'd like to bring up your grandchild <laughs> that don't necessarily go. And um, No, I, I mean, I, I, I know that that's not appropriate. Yeah. Um, actually, it, um, first... Any advice you give, you're talking to people. Some people are here and some people are there. So before I generalize, you know, it's a matter of where a person is. But the other thing is um, parents are so anxious that they're so worried. So my main message, you know, what what can you say? The brain is not designed to be happy all the time. Parents are urgently trying to protect their kids from ever having to be unhappy. But in fact, what's better is that your kids learn to deal with adversity in small steps. Because if they just have a totally protected bubble to grow up in, then they never learn to deal with adversity. It's interesting. There's a great study, right, that was done on the Hollywood executives, you know, who work there, you know, work work from ground up to the top and now they, you know, have so much money versus the like very poor people in society who couldn't even work their way up because they couldn't even go to school. And yeah. both ends of those spectrums struggle to bring up their kids because the poor one can't give their kids anything, and the rich one has to. He, he naturally is giving everything to his kids, so his kids just always are getting what they want, and so they never are actually doing anything on either spectrums. And it's actually a middle ground kid who actually goes and does stuff. Um. Yeah, maybe, but um. Actually, a lot of these high-level people started out very low, and they very, very, very hard, Uh and they don't want their kids to have to work that hard. So it's not a lack of stuff. And so the kids never learn to struggle, but then the kid still wants status. But the kid wants to raise their status, but they're starting out at such a high level and they haven't earned it, and they don't want to fall, but they don't want to just ride daddy's coattails. Yeah. So that's another complication. And so... so what, what, sorry, what I was going to say is, what would you say to your... Say your daughter rang you up, and she's like, I'm upset, you know, mom, my boyfriend just broke up with me, blah, 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 you know, and she's going into her primal self right now. You know, the world's terrible. Would it be best for the mum to say, darling... You're going to have problems every day. It's part of life. You will get through this rather than saying, I'll fly up to your house tomorrow and we'll, I'll take you to dinner and I'll get you all this stuff. <laughs> and, and let me add one more choice to that um, okay. because a lot, what a lot of mothers do is say, well, he was a jerk anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right, actually. I have heard that one before. <laughs> it's all his fault <laughs> he used to abuse her or something like that um, but um, the, the one you said about it'll be fine what would you do I guess what would you like to what would you think is that the best approach my kids know that I'm going to say it'll be fine so they don't confide in me this kind of stuff because yeah. they don't want to hear me say it'll be fine Okay. So, so they mostly just tell me when they have good news. It's interesting. So that's it's funny. And so, do you think there is a different approach to it though? So your kids would still confide on you, or do you think they should just be confiding in themselves or someone else? 
Well, it's a tough call because, you know, other mothers, their kids call them every day, yeah. blah, 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 you know, so I, every, everybody's coming from their own experience, right? Yeah. So I had a mother who was too clingy, and so I was very much not wanting to be clingy to my kids and telling them my problems, so we never got that kind of relationship. So, you know, everything has its pluses and minuses, but my kids, they left home, they pay their rent, they put one foot against in front of another, they're not living on the couch in my basement, you know? Um, Before we go, I do have one more question. I might have to get you back on the show with Laura, because there's like so many different elements to talk about with you. Like, I feel like, just on top of that it's like can you can if hormones control your your feelings right which controls your ultimate emotion to the world does lifestyle choices affect those hormones you know and coming back to this hacking thing you could if you ate certain foods and did certain workouts and did certain habitual routines in your life you could actually maximize your hormonal profile where your cortisol is higher in the morning, so you're getting more intense work, but and then you've also got um, you know high testosterone, so you're very motivated. Your growth hormone's on fire due to certain routines that you're doing, which is mainly your skin and you're you're feeling great and you know you're healthy. Do you think you can get to that point? Is there uh, yes, but um, everyone has a limited amount of energy. And if you put all your energy in one thing, then you have less for something else. Okay. So that's inevitable. So yeah. if a person says, well, I have to have the best body, but also the best job and also the best relationship and the best, 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 then maybe they're going to have anxiety and they're not going to sleep at night. So I would say so, the first thing is to have the. Do you feel like there's a middle ground then where you can get to, where you don't feel the anxiety but are still <laughs> maximizing, I guess, to some levels? Well, I, I instead of maximizing, I would say that um, self acceptance yep. is an important thing, uh-huh. right? Because you have to maximize. You're not really doing it for yourself. You're doing it to be better, right? Yeah. And that's just an addiction like any other. That's crazy. The, the last thing I want to say is that you, you do talk about, which I feel like no one talks about, that relationships are built over conflicts or, ne- you know, both talking about a negative thing. Is that right? How do you explain it? And that's how most, if we look at, back at it, most of our relationships, it's due to a negative thing rather than a positive thing. Is that true? So, yeah, so mammals bond around common enemies. So, for example, when baboons are surrounded by lions, they stick together in large groups. But the fewer lions, the more the baboons disperse. Because when you disperse, you have a better chance of getting food without having to compete for it. So, there's uh, the only thing that keeps a group of mammals together is the common enemy. Uh-huh. So if you go into a group that you're involved in, what do people constantly talk about is the common enemy of that group. That's all I ever talk about because that's what overcomes, excuse me, overcomes their differences. So even if you're finding a mate, you know, say a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you normally bond over some negative thing. It's scary. You try. I'm trying to think back to like my partner. I'm like, what was the what was the negative thing we bonded over? You know. And can you bond over yeah, a positive it, thing where you don't agree? Whatever is your deepest pain, then you bond with someone who has that same deepest pain. Crazy. Just to finish, yeah. finish us off, Loretta, this has been incredible and I, I really do want to get you back on when Laura is back and start diving deeper into some more futuristic views on these and where it goes to. Um, what is your favorite animal or mammal? 
do you have one that you just like can't stop thinking about? No, but I do like babies. Oh, really? <laughs> so I, you know, I think babies are so adorable and little toddlers. And, you know, when I, my kids were toddlers, I was exhausted. I was busy. I was worried. And I didn't get to enjoy them. And now when I see a little toddler on the street, I think, oh, my God, it's so cute. And it will only be cute for a short time. So that's, that's I guess that's my thing. I don't know if you've ever read the book. It's called The One Straw Revolution. It's by yeah, a Japanese, Japanese natural farmer, Fukushima, I think. I can't say his name. It was Japanese, but it's called The One Straw Revolution. And he, he, it's, a, it's a philosophical book, but he went back to natural farming methods. And, oh, yeah, of, yeah. and, he, goes, and he, he talks about the process of growing rice and how to relates to your life um, and ultimately grew all these crops that became a huge farm but it was all natural farming methods to grow the rice which meant we didn't need intensive farming but ultimately it was about his philosophy is that whenever you had an issue in human nature or you have some problem you go one step closer to nature and so his okay. whole thing was is that if you go back to nature you'll actually find your true self. So instead of walking in the concrete jungle, go for a walk in the park and you'll get back to your natural self. And that's his philosophy. One step yeah. closer to nature always. So if you ever have any issue in life, it's normally because of an unnatural problem, which you can one step closer to nature, which is drink some more water or go for a swim or go outside, yeah, yeah, yeah. get closer, you'll get back to your primal self which is where you're happiest. And, and his whole thing was is to get everyone back into living on a piece of land, growing food with their family because instead of having a world where you're working nine to five just to pay for a box so you can pay for a nanny to look after your kids so you can... Get, and then you get old and when you could have been on a farm growing food, with your kids, with them every day, that was a more happier place. What is your thoughts? Um, uh, I think it's easy to idealize that from yeah. the life that you're in. Mm -hmm. But the problems of that life also exist. Uh -huh. And when people do that and have done it, often they end up getting frustrated with it and then want to leave that life. Yeah. So every life has downside. And, you know, I don't want to prick the bubble to tell you all the downsides of that, no, no. but you probably know. Yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't be on Skype and we probably wouldn't be on a plane tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, okay, and um, I had two other things that I was thinking of telling you, but um, why don't I just put them on agenda for next time? Let's do that, um, and we'll get more into the future next time. Okay, because I had, oh yeah, okay, good, because I have two two things to tell, tell you. Tell, that, tell us um, what they are, and then we'll get into them next time. Okay, I was going to write them down, but okay, I'll tell going, So we're excited for them. <laughs> So um, regarding what you just said, so I just got back from Hawaii. I went to the Big Island, and I did a lot of farm tours, and there's a lot of people there you know, go, wanting to go back to the land, etc. Um, what I love about Hawaii, and, and I did New Zealand, and I mean, I did a tour in New Zealand and Australia. Yeah. I love being around lush, lush greenery, right? So I'm going around the big island of Hawaii looking for lush, overgrown, and every time I find it, the people there are attacking it because they think it's not indigenous and they want to rip it all out. And it was so upsetting to Amazing. me because I love like flowers and overgrown and they're like, oh, those overgrown, that's kids, you know, we don't want that. How fascinating. So just, so that. That was very frustrating. I'm 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 interested in flowers, so I yeah. I always look for flowers when I go and they they you know, we gotta get rid of these weeds. They're they're not indigenous. 
So that's one issue. So the other issue is um, this. Is, I don't know if you've heard of the book Catching Fire. No. So th this guy found that the discovery of cooking food is what caused human evolution. It's brilliant. I love it. But so the idea is that monkeys have to chew 12 hours a day yeah. in order to get enough nutrition. So they're getting leaves and the leaves don't have much nutrition and so they're chewing, chewing, chewing. When humans go hunting then they, and then cook it, they could get a lot of nutrition, a lot of calories in a short amount of time and that freed them to do other things. The trouble is that when you hunt, sometimes you fail and then you would starve to death. So he's saying this is how monogamy started because when you have a couple, one person stays home and cooks, the other person goes hunting, and so if the hunter fails, he doesn't starve because they're, they're two different food chains. So Crazy, they yeah. both improve the other. Isn't that Amazing. We, let's delve into that next time because there's so much topic we can chat about with that food. Thanks so much, Loretta. I really appreciate it. It was great to meet you. You too. Thanks Take for being care. on the show. Bye-bye. Bye.